as we come, Lord, we want to pray that every burden will become insignificant in the majesty of your greatness. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's just, um, there's been a word aside, and I want to pray for, for Yapi. We've seen too many miracles not to, not to pray for him. Come, Francie, come stand here. So let's gonna, we're going to pray for Francie, and she's going to be a proxy for Yapi. He's broken his arm. So I want to just ask you to extend your hand to her. If the Lord gives you a word, whatever it might be, please, we need to hear it this morning. Thank you, Lord, for, for healing. Thank you for the many miracles that we've had this year so far. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the testimony of your healing among us. And Father, we just, as we lay hands on Francie this morning, we pray for Yapi, as they are one, to heal his arm, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let there be a miracle testimony coming out of that healing, Lord. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Where's the mic? Where's the mic? Thanks, Brian. I was just on um, I was just met this morning um, as we were worshiping. I was thinking Father, I just want to pray that even as we share your word this morning, that there'll be life that emanates from it, comes from it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, that there's a multiplying of faith. There's a multiplying, Father, of the resources that you have for us to see this city of ours changed for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I've had a great week. We've, I've been preaching a series on... Um, uh, coming back to the foundations of our faith, simplifying our faith. And I uh, preached last week about salvation and so on. And this week I want to just paint another picture. And I must tell you, I've had a party this week. It's been a, sometimes I've been, I've been in tears, and you'll see why as we, as we go along. But it's been, a, it's been a great, great, great week as I've been examining again the foundation. Because as you go through some of the scriptures and you read a little bit around our faith, you see that we've actually got an incredible heritage that we're walking in. And for us to realize those, or to, or to re-examine those foundations and dig them in strong, and I'm really hoping that you do that this morning, that we're able to stand a little bit away from our culture, from our humanistic um, nature, as it were, that has been so uh, impressed upon us from birth, that we're able to stand back a little bit and to see Jesus for really who he is.
It's important for us to have values that we base our life upon. That, we, that we've got things that are unmovable in our lives. I'm not just talking about faith. Jill's and my marriage is unmovable. We've made that commitment. And for 49 years, God helped us keep that secure. But it's not just things like that, which are on a humanistic level. There's things like that on a faith level, things we can't see with our natural eye, hear with our natural ear, but things that are so fundamental to us and so secure in us that we hold on to them. I nearly said, come hello, how water, but let's, let's leave it at that. Come hello, how water. Many Christians have been accused of circular reasoning when it comes to things like this. You know, the circular reasoning says, um, why do you believe the Bible is true? Because the Bible says it is true, and it's the Word of God. Why do you believe the Bible is the Word of God, and therefore true? Because the Bible says so. And, and sometimes our reasoning has been there. So what I've done this morning is I've gone and read quite a lot around the Bible, around the, the, what was happening in the world around the coming of Jesus and these disciples, the early years of his disciples. So a lot of what I've referenced is not in the Bible. It's taken from people who were historians at the time and things that they wrote at that time about the life of Jesus that has not been included in the Bible. The one person I'm going to reference was a, was a Jew, but he was writing for the Romans at the time, giving a case for them to, to listen to what is happening around them as far as the, this new Christian sect is concerned. And so he was writing to, to the Romans. So it's important that we, that we um, look a little bit further sometimes than just what is in the Bible and say to ourselves, I mean, I've said that to myself, it's there, it's true, and I believe it. So that's fundamental for me. That's one of the foundations that, that I hold on to, is the inerrancy and the permanency of God's Word that I can hold on to. So that's secure. But there's, there's other things that we can look around today and say to ourselves, if it's, if it's so deep, if it's so been baptized in the blood of people, Maybe I should look a little bit further than just writing it off as a teaching, in other words, or following it just as another teaching. It's something that we need to anchor our lives and faith onto. And so um, I'm going to speak a little bit about that. I did receive Christ by faith. Um, it was based upon a miracle that I saw. But that's not what has anchored my faith. It certainly help to refresh my faith every now and again. When I come to a place when I'm struggling, I go back to that monument that I built, that when I was 21 years old, at a certain place, at a certain time, I can remember it like, like yesterday. I committed my life to Christ, which was 90% an emotional response because of the power of God that I saw. And I, was, I, I, I felt as if I'd been letting him down for so many years, not believing him, and now I see him in his... So it was a lot of an emotional response. But later on in life, I had to take that emotional response and I had to anchor it to value. Do you know what I'm saying? I anchor it to something which is... A, a preacher can't persuade me or dissuade me. Nobody can persuade me or dissuade me because I've taken hold of a truth about who Jesus is and I've made it fundamentally part of my life. That's calling us back to basics. That's calling us back to... The place where we committed our life to God. 
And you're saying to yourself this morning, why have I committed myself to God? Good question to ask, and we need to refresh that question every now and again in our, in our lives. It's good for us to, to look at one of the first points I want to mention. It's good for us to look at the historical context of our faith as we look back in history. And I've read through so many cases, so much around history, that, that I'm just going to sketch around a few uh, of the historical context of it. And it's always easier to understand the journey when we've got a clear view of the rearview mirror, isn't it? When we have a look and see what, where we've been, we understand better as to where the road's going to go. It's, we see a life better sometimes in the past. It gives us context for the now. And so history has got an ability to help us do that. It's, it's got the ability to help us see the future, the present and the future clearer. And so it's good for us every now and again to say to ourselves, this Jesus who lived, is he just recorded in the pages of Scripture in a religious document? Or is he recorded in history? Is he a, was he a man that came, that claimed certain things, that did certain things? Did it actually happen? That's where history helps us. That's where we say to ourselves, when I'm struggling with my faith, it's got nothing to do with religion. It's got to do with history. Did Jesus really come? Did he walk this earth? Did he gather a bunch of people around him to walk with him while he was here? Is the historical facts that we read about, is it, is it real? You see, if it wasn't real, it's just a hoax. We've been believing a myth if Jesus wasn't a historical figure that came 2,000 years ago and changed the dimension of time and values uh, at that time. But he wasn't a myth and he wasn't a hoax. It's a theological matter that we need to settle with, but it's a historical matter that gives us the assurance of our foundation. Ignatius, who wrote around about 50 AD, he was actually eventually thrown to the wild beasts in the Colosseum. Uh, he was a Christian when he, when he, he was a believer at this time. Uh, and you, you can see the details in ev the evidence that demands a verdict on page 185. He gave a pre-biblical detailed account of the life and death of Jesus in detail. Why I'm referencing him is that what he referenced was long before it was written down in the Bible, before it was included in the canon of Scripture. So what he wrote about and what he referenced was what he actually saw and he heard people told him who were eyewitnesses to the incident and the things that happened. He said, and, and, and this is what he said throughout the article that he wrote, he said, he, Jesus, really, and not just in appearance, he was crucified. He did perform miracles. And then he gave the whole account of Jesus' life from that. But he referenced it throughout his article. He said, it did happen 50 years A.D., fresh, 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 off the press, as it were. Josephus, historian, first century. His was merely a historical account uh, of the growing Christian sect. He was not writing as a Christian, but he was writing as a Jew for the Romans at the time. And he was giving them a kind of an overview of what was happening with this Christian sect that was taking form in the world at that time. 
And he wrote, uh, he recorded the detail of the life of Jesus as he was writing to the Romans. In other words, he was saying, this is what these Christians are like. And he was writing to the Romans and saying to them, maybe you should reconsider. Maybe you should consider this is what they like. And what he documented is what we read about years later in Scripture. And so the historical context of Jesus' life um, was, was secure in the secular writing of the day. Not in the page, not necessarily in the pages of Scripture, although I believe the most historical account we have God is in the pages of Scripture. But we're not going to the pages of Scripture now to prove Scripture. We're going outside of Scripture to give us more reference or more security in looking at the pages of Scripture and saying they're accurate. We can trust what is written. And then there's one of the things that, and this really struck me as I was reading a lot around this topic, it's a, the persecution of Christians at that time. Starting at the first one who was martyred for his faith was Stephen, who was, who was stoned uh, for his faith. He was killed for his faith. That's recorded in Scripture. But if you go from the date of Stephen's life, um, you will see that there's been thousands, I don't know if it's not millions of Christians over the years that have been persecuted, that have been martyred, that have been murdered for their faith. People that have given their lives willingly for their faith. Nero um, had it in for them. And from Nero's time onwards, Christians, Nero was so perverse in the way that he persecuted Christians. Um, it emanated from the fire that was in Rome at the time. He blamed Christians for it. But he would take Christians and dip them in wax, have parties at his house, and set them ablaze to give light to the party. That was one of the, one of, one of the wicked things that he did. I mean, the, the cruelty that he went to, you cannot imagine. He cannot imagine. He tortured, tormented, in every way possible, Christians. Fathers, mothers, and little kids, pregnant women. If you had the title Christian, you were an enemy of Nero's. And of course, they were defenseless. They didn't have an army at the time to defend them. So they just came by force, took them, and killed them at that time. And it was an incredibly cruel time from Nero onwards. He stood as an example of how to treat, treat Christians. All they needed to do, those who were being um, tortured and martyred, all they needed to do was, and, and this is what it actually says in the book, these were tested by being called upon to deny their faith, offer incense to the gods, worship the image of the emperor, and revile Christ. All were complied with these terms were dismissed. In other words, when people came and they, they put these conditions on them and said, you're a Christian, okay, let's test your faith, deny Christ, offer, offer incense to the gods, offer worship the statue of the emperor at the time. And if they did that, they said, well, let you're not a gen genuine Christian. Then you were let free. And the ones who came and said, I cannot do that, they were murdered, killed. Without reference to anybody, without sympathy for anybody, mother, child, father, kids, they were just persecuted for their faith. One of the accounts I read this last week was a girl of 15 years old who had committed her life to Christ. And she stood in the face of these soldiers who started to, to, to um, and I think it took something like two or three days for her to die. 
but she said so she's doing it willingly and joyfully for the Christ she now serves. I mean, it's amazing when you read of that commitment. The church also persecuted many Christians. The historical church, my um, uh, forefathers, four um, decades back, uh, John Hooper was martyred in England. And so I raised my genealogy, it's in my, my, my line. So obviously when I get, got the book, um, Fox's Book of Martyrs, I looked it up to see if, if my forefathers are in here. And it's quite interesting that he was martyred on fif- in 1553, and I was born in 15, uh, 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 sorry, 1993. <laughs> and, uh, and I was born in 1993. But I like to believe... <laughs> 1953. <laughs> I'll get there. I'll get there. I was, uh, I was born four decades later. Let me try and work it out. <laughs> Centuries later. I'll get there. What's that? Okay. Jill's rubbing it in. She said last week I called her Joe. This week I can't know my... <laughs> I don't know my birthday. <laughs> he, was, he was martyred in 1553. I was born in 1953. <laughs> Thank you. And so... Thank you. And, 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 so, and so I like to believe that 400 years later that his martyrdom had something to do with the seeds of my salvation. He was, he was um, burnt at the stake and he, I mean it was, was a gruesome death. He was, he was burnt at the stake and... Um, they came to chain him in the morning that he was... <laughs> Are we there, Wayne? Should we, should we, have, a, should we have a ten minute break? <laughs> and so they came to arrest him in the morning that he was actually burnt at the stake. And they came with their chains to chain him up. He said, I want to walk with you. I don't want to I, I don't want to be chained. He walked with them to the, to the stake. And uh, they wanted to chain him to the pole. I suppose it was a pole. He said, I want to stand here and receive my gift that God has given me today. Willingly. One of his, one of his, one of his political connections said to him, John, let me intervene in this process for you. And he said, please don't rob me of the prize of what God has got for me. He was determined to let his life rest in the power of God's ability and not in the, in the uh, scheming and plans of man. They set him alight three times they tried to burn him. The fire wouldn't take. The first time it just burnt his hair. The second time they used to use reeds as kindling for the fire, but they said that the branches were very green. 
And by the third attempt, the fire started to take. He beat his chest with his hands until his one arm fell off. Now, it's important that we hear this. He tried to raise his, his right arm in glory to God just before he died as his life was taken at the stake. I say to myself when that happens, you know, it's so easy for John to have said. In fact, they gave him three or four options during that time. They gave him that, those options and said, all you need to do is to deny. In fact, it was a stupid doctrinal thing that he had to argue about. It was about whether the wafer that, that they were serving in communion actually becomes the body of Christ or is it just a representation of the body of Christ. And that was the issue. So whether it was Nero or whether it was the church, the Christians started to be martyred in huge numbers right from the day of inception of the Christian faith. They started to be killed. I don't think I need to remind you that the 1900s have been the most cruel millennium of all. And they say up until, up until today, more people have been martyred in the 1900s that have been martyred in all the years up until that time. Just in that, in that, in that one millennium. Is a millennium, eh? Yeah. All they required was to deny their faith. So I say to myself, as I read accounts like that, I say to myself, if Jesus wasn't true, the easiest thing in the world would have been for them to say, oh, no, I've just been, it's just a mistake. You know, I've just, it's just a, a coming, to, coming to church once a week. It's just, it's just, but they didn't because it was a foundational value that they'd made to serve Christ and to serve him alone and for him to be the, the champion of their faith and to serve him on his terms and not on their terms. I said to Jill a couple of times as I was reading a couple of accounts, we've made it so easy for ourselves. We've become so cushy in our faith. Where we've got a smorgasbord of what type of church we want to join. We've got a smorgasbord of what type of worship do I want in my church. We've got a smorgasbord as to what kind of parking do I want outside of my church. We've got a smorgasbord as to what, what kind of, what other options is, what, what temperature do I want in my building when I'm worshiping God. We've become so humanistic and so capitalistic in our approach even to God that we've got him to serve us on our terms eventually in so many of the things that we do. And so I found myself repenting over and over sometimes for my attitude as far as how we serve how we serve God. When I read accounts like, like John Hooper and his martyrdom, I say to myself, Dave, that's your inheritance. That's your inheritance. That's your example. It's not whether I, everything is cushy and fine and okay with me. Then we've got the resurrection, of course. And if the resurrection is proved wrong, in, fa in fact, if the resurrection never took place, then the whole tenant of our faith, the whole foundation of our faith, the whole principle of our faith is null and void. Today we stand here because we believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That is alive, that is here, that is with us by his spirit. We believe it because, because he overcame death. He never suffered death as we uh, know it and stayed, and stayed dead as it were. <laughs> um, the existence of our faith rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus. 
And so we need to have a look at the resurrection of Jesus. We need to say to ourselves, did, did something happen then that wasn't quite true? Did somebody hide his body or, or did someone come and spirit his body away and then claim that he rose from the dead and that, that the, a lot of people at the day were just fooled into believing that he didn't rise from the dead, he wasn't crucified. One question obviously torments us in our thinking, in thinking about that is all they needed to do was to produce the body. It would have dispelled anything and everything. If someone could have just produced the body of Jesus, it would have, it would have sort, uh, suited the Romans and it would have suited the Jews, who at the time were looking to disprove the resurrection. It would have disproven everything. They would have said, well, it's, you see, it didn't happen. It was a hoax. He hasn't risen from the dead. He has his body and he's buried and he is actually dead. But nobody could produce his body. He appeared to numerous people in a large gathering, 500 people together at the time. He appeared alive after the resurrection. Just show us the body. But nobody could because he'd risen at that time. Julius Africanus, writing in AD 221, says this. The whole world, they, they were speaking about, he's speaking about the time of the, of the crucifixion of Jesus. And he's, he's speaking about it now, and he's writing about it in a, in, a, in a fresh environment, as it were, new environment. He says, on the whole world, they pressed a most fearful darkness. And the rocks there were rent by an earthquake. And many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. This darkness, Thales, in the third book of his history, calls has appeared to me without reason an eclipse of the sun. So we, he's, looking, he's looking back as a historian. He's saying, these are the things that happened at that time. Some of the archaeological records that they've had a look at in, in discovering or uncovering some of the, the, um, the, the buildings and so on at that time said that in that year, um, 33 AD, I think it was, or... I'm not quite sure exactly when it was. They have discovered that there were significant earthquakes or an earthquake in that region. So that's been fixed. I witness about the darkness, about the earthquakes that the Bible tells us about that happened at the time. But the one I want to hold before us today is I think the one that for me is the most significant of all. It's the changed lives that have emanated from that time. You see, the thing is, I cannot get past the reasoning that so many people I know personally's lives have been transformed and changed dramatically. So many marriages have been turned around. So many lives have been given hope back again because of something that happened 2,000 years ago. Because they put their faith in the cross of 2,000 years ago, lives have been transformed and changed. You see, Jesus claims about himself. He claimed that he was God. He said, I and the Father are one. He said, you see me, you see the Father. If we see that just today in a newspaper headline, we'll say he's a lunatic. Wouldn't we? 
someone come in, we have said that when people are claimed, I'm God. We say, it's crazy. Jesus made the same claim. But the only thing is he proved it while he was here. He, he proved that the things that he declared were the things that actually happened at the time. He said that he had come to save the world and reconcile us to the Father. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. My father and mother's lives were transformed by believing in the resurrection of Jesus. My grandfather's life was transformed. He gave in and committed his life to Jesus, served him all the days of his life. My great-grandfather's life, who I haven't met, I just see him in my genealogy, served God for his whole life. People around me who've committed their lives. Now, I didn't know this before I got saved. I only saw reference to it after I got saved. I said, but am I in a company that, that knows him, Jesus? And I discovered I've got a, a wonderful heritage to, to walk in. And so I have to say to myself, but of all of us, Hooper's been stupid. But you see, we put our faith and our forefathers in someone that we know is truth. I was, as I've shared with you before, I was young, 20 years old, 21 when I committed my life to Christ. Living a life, I mean, I don't want to boast about, give the devil any credit, but I was ashamed of the way I lived. I was working underground in the mines, one of the roughest environments that you've got in the, in the whole of South Africa. And so I knew I could, I could, I knew swear words in just about every language. Because we had, we had Americans, Germans, French. I mean, they were all working on the mines. And they all used small words. Often. Some of them could string them together in long sentences. <laughs> and so that was the environment that I, I knew. It was the environment that I was part of. Jill said to me on a couple of occasions, she said, you come home drunk, I'm going to put this bread in our I mean, she said that. She said that, and it, it wasn't through fear of my wife that my life changed. <laughs> so why I'm saying this is that I saw a dramatic change in this life. The day I came and I bowed my knee to Jesus, and I said, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I want to serve you from this day on. Because I was convicted through a miracle I saw, and I heard who was behind the miracle, that he'd done it before. In fact, he was doing it for the last 2,000 years. He came to save the world. We've got living proof. Many of you in this room, we've got the same stories, exactly the same accounts. You've got people in your family that, that, who love God, and you've seen a transformation in their lives. You've seen marriages turned around. You've seen things happen in your, in your families that have been remarkable because someone in the family stood in the gap and said, I want to serve this Jesus. This is the one I want to serve. The one who's alive today. And so I've got to say to myself, this isn't just a fairy tale. People died for this. Sacrificed their lives willingly to serve in this way. Over history. Historians wrote about the authenticity of this 
the scriptures around this. So I've got to say to myself, you would be stupid not to consider this. An insurance agent might have more ability to persuade us to put some value on the day we die. But I want to say to you today, I've got much, much better for you than what an insurance agent can give you. Because I can guarantee your life from here on into eternity. Your life, not just those we leave behind. Jesus did die for us. He said that he would, he would be, be die. He said he would die, be buried and raised again. Jesus said this. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands in Luke 24, 7. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of the sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day raise again. Jesus warned his disciples that this was going to happen. I'll be with you. But I need to warn you that I'm going to die. And after three days, don't lose heart. I will rise again. But what did they do? They lost heart. They went back fishing. Because they didn't see the value of it at that time. The authenticity of it at that time. That he would actually rise from the dead. And he would be alive. And he said something else. That maybe we should take a little bit of more notice of. Living in this side of, of the day that we're going to be with him forever. He said that as he departed we would see him come back again. At that time in Mark 13, 26, at that time will meet, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth until to the ends of the heavens. He's coming back again. You see, and that's my hope. That's my hope. My hope, my hope is, is to see him. My hope is to be with him. I don't want to, I'm not saying I'm, I've got a death wish. I haven't. I've got a, a, a living wish because I know that death is just going to be a translation into another dimension. Is it going to be a good one for you? Is it going to be a good translation for you? Millions have changed lives that bear witness to the authenticity of our faith. Do you know that there's more evidence on a in a statistical way, there's more evidence of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection than there is for this life you see in front of you. I'm going to die. Within 10 years, you would have forgotten that I'd existed even. I'll be gone. I haven't made the impact that Jesus has made. I never will. You can't. None of us can. The best things that we can leave behind is maybe money. And some stuff for our kids to spend on their pleasures. Maybe. There's more proof. The Bible is 2,000 years old. The account of Jesus. There's more written about him today. The most popular book that has ever been written and sold is the Bible. There's more written and known about Jesus than about any man on the face of this earth. And we think we, can, we matter. You know what I'm saying? We need to understand that he came. He made a difference. He proved that difference by rising from the dead. And he's going to welcome us back into his presence again. 2,000 years. I can only go back four generations. Thanks the Lord for John Hooper. And he's recorded in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. 
If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be able to go further than four, gen four generations or four, what's it? Another decade, a century. I just want to read you this poem in closing. I was driving to Plettenberg Bay one day and I got in Eisenhower and I felt the spirit of God stirring in me. So when I got to Plett, I got my journal out and I wrote this poem down. I believe it's from heaven because it took me 10 minutes to write it down. And um, I mean, I've hardly changed anything in it, just maybe a little bit of language since then. But won't you just consider this for a moment? I've called it, Have You Considered? It says, Have You Considered Who Made the World? The fine detail, the intricate plan. Have you considered who made the lazy mountains and the restless sea? Have you considered the path of the sun, the seasons that roll, the buds that open and the leaves that fall? Do you know it was all made for you and for me? Have you considered who frustrates this plan? Starvation and earthquake to name but a few. Have you considered who created the germ to cripple a child for a full term? Have you considered the hate that abounds, the lust that craves, the bombs that destroy? Do you know it was all meant to fool you and me? Have you considered how Isaiah foretold centuries before the birth of a child? Have you considered why Jesus lived, risked a life so precious and only did good? Have you considered the guilt was not his, but he said, set them free, rather kill me. Do you not see he died for you and for me? Have you considered where you belong? On whose side you are on? Do you love or do you hate? Do you have joy or weep within? Have you got peace or do you churn? You see, you can't smile and frown at the same time. You have to choose whose side are you on? Maybe we can just bow our heads for a moment. Won't you make that choice this morning? Even, uh, even as we open the book of martyrs, we see that there's many that have gone before us that have had to pay the full price. You see, when we surrender our lives to him, we surrender our lives fully into his hands. And I want to ask today, are you prepared to do that? Surrender your life fully into his hands without holding back. See, the scripture says, I have been crucified with Christ, crucified with him. Therefore, I no longer live, but he lives in me. And I want to ask you to make that exchange this morning if you haven't done that. We're going to have communion together now. I really want to ask that we I want to ask that as we do communion this morning, that you see it in a different light. That you see this not just as having crackers and, and grape juice together. But this is what it's about. It's about dying, Jesus dying, so that we can live. Thank you, Lord.